Welcome to Body Signals, a Cygnos podcast. I'm your host, Bill Tanser, and today we have a fireside chat with Cygnos co-founder, Dr. William Dixon. Our monthly AMA with Dr. Dixon is all about answering the questions you have about your own weight loss journey. If you have any questions you'd like to answer on future shows, please email them to ama at cygnos.com. And please don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. As a reminder, Dr. Dixon's opinions and statements on this show are for educational purposes only and do not represent the opinion of his employers. They do not constitute medical advice, and no doctor-patient relationship is established by his participation in the show. Should you have questions about your own health or modifications to your diet and exercise regimen, you should consult with your physician. On today's episode, we'll be doing a fireside chat with Dr. Dixon, covering the questions we get about Cygnos and the science behind what we do. He'll be joining us regularly for our AMA or Ask Me Anything episodes. If you have any questions you want us to ask Dr. Dixon for future shows, you can email us at ama at cygnos.com. That's ama at cygnos, S-I-G-N-O-S dot com. So a little bit about Dr. Dixon. He did his undergraduate at Princeton in molecular biology went to medical school at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. He's a co-founder here at Cygnos, as well as a clinical assistant professor of emergency medicine at Stanford University School of Medicine. Dr. Dixon, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Uh, happy to be here. We are so happy to have you. I have a first question for you, something I, I tend to ask doctors whenever I meet them, which is how they decided on your their specialty. So you went into emergency medicine. How did you end up as... as um, in deciding on emergency medicine, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's an interesting question, and it certainly doesn't it didn't happen overnight. But uh, when I first started my career into medicine, one of the things that I did was got an emergency, like an EMT basic uh, training, and I always enjoyed um, kind of seeing patients right when they first showed up, when they're first sick, um, or first trying to decide what is going on with them. And I think the 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 diagnostic journey that that each patient can have, I think, is what's what I really enjoy about emergency medicine. Um, so the first part would be just it's it's the the patients that I, I find the most interesting and that I think I can help the most. You know, it's it's anytime you go to the emergency department, for most people it's one of the worst days of their lives, right? Or at least worst day of the week. Um, and I like being the person on the other side of that, helping them kind of navigate how stressful and, and difficult that can be. Um, so that's the first thing is it's interesting patients and, and patients that I could really feel like I can help. The second thing is the team that you work with. So a lot of med school is just kind of putting your putting your foot in a bunch of different rings and seeing which where, where it fits. Um, and I found that the teamwork that comes with it working on in an emergency department as an emergency physician is just something that I, I never saw replicated elsewhere terms of the camaraderie and how well we get to know each other and you know when something when a patient comes in you know near near dead and you have a whole team that's completely dedicated and and working in perfect sync to kind of save this person's life it's it's kind of an experience like no other so that's that's the other reason i imagine it's got to be pretty stressful uh during shifts yeah um and and but between shifts i get you know i i can kind of go home and relax which is nice yeah. 
We're going to be talking uh, about blood sugar later, but uh, I've noticed that stressful situations cause my blood sugar to go up. I wonder if you've ever noticed in a stressful situation in the ER if your blood sugar's spiked. I definitely have noticed that. So one is the you know there's a cortisol release which naturally causes some and epinephrine which naturally causes some some glucose to to get released in case you're running away from a line or something. Um, but I, I've seen that on shift as well. Some some shifts where I'm particularly nervous or I know I'm in the in the trauma bay. I'm going to be in the trauma bay a lot. I've actually seen my sugar go up. So I'm just even as I'm arriving to to work. Uh, I also see my sugar go up because there's always candy strewn about everywhere that we can get into <laughs> in single use packages yeah. nowadays anyways. Um, and lots of cookies and stuff around or donuts. So I see my sugar going up for those reasons too. But definitely well, we're, just we're, we're going to get into candies, cookies and donuts um, later. But before we do, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, from emergency medicine, thanks for the explanation as to how you got there. But I'm also interested in how you got interested in helping patients with weight loss and patients that had diabetes. Sure. So I've always, uh, I think there's two two parts to, to that as well. The first is um, I, uh, before I went to med school, uh, I spent a couple of years working at a community health clinic. And one of the jobs I did there was trying to figure out um, I was helping kind of the doctors take care of patients who had chronic diseases. So people with uh, who were overweight or who had diabetes or high blood pressure. And I just kind of got a firsthand and look at how, how hard it is to help people manage those diseases and how much is beyond their control in terms of the socioeconomic factors of chronic disease. Um, but then also how rewarding it was when people really were able to kind of take control of their health. So I want to ask you about how you got involved with Cygnos, but before I do, I realize that there might be some people listening that don't know about Cygnos. Cygnos is a data-driven weight loss platform that uses individual glucose and metabolic signals to recommend personalized meals and exercises to transform the weight loss journey. So that's Cygnos, but Doc, I'm curious as to how you got involved with the company. Sure. So Sharon and I uh, have been friends for a while, actually. And when he reached out to me to talk about starting up a company like Cygnos, I was immediately on board with the concept. In fact, it's already something that I had been thinking about because a friend of mine had been using a CGM to really great success for weight loss. And I was thinking this could be the difference maker for so many of the people I saw in the community clinic earlier on in my career, and then now in practice. Um, So I was excited to start you know, help start the company because the idea of reducing the obesity epidemic and helping people with self-efficacy really around weight loss uh, in a proactive way uh, really appealed to me. Yes, I'd agree. Using CGMs for this purpose for weight loss is a new and totally exciting application of this technology. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely come a long way in terms of the understanding the science behind it. You know, one of the one of the Difficult things about medical education um, is that there's only so much time for content in medical school, right? And then a lot of it transitions into how do you how do you be a doctor, right? And not necessarily some of the knowledge that goes into it. So, I mean, medical school you learn a ton, but it's also just the beginning of of any kind of journey into medical knowledge. So, over the last few years, I spent a lot more time learning more about nutrition and metabolism, and um, I really didn't have a great understanding of kind of the precursors to 
to prediabetes and diabetes, but there's a lot of things that you can actually find out about someone based on their glucose data before they're even begin to be overweight um, or obese, or even before they begin to be diagnosed as prediabetic or diabetic. And those are things, that's where you want to start intervening and helping people to change their behavior so they don't end up going down that um, kind of spiral of, of gaining weight and then having, uh, having difficulty controlling their sugars. So how does balancing your glucose really work? How does it help you lose weight? Sure. So um, I think some, something that's instructional is that at a given time, the average person, um, and for scientific purposes, of course, that means a 70 kilogram male, although I, we know everyone, not everyone is like that, but that's what science uses as the average person, is, uh, has about four grams of glucose circulating in your blood at any given time. And you use that as energy, generally. Um, but if you were to eat a Snickers bar, that's 25 grams of glucose, for example, or a soda, 30 grams of glucose. And that sugar is a a big stressor on your system. So you have pretty, um, pretty robust ways of of fighting that sugar, both starting in your, in your intestines and then also from your pancreas, which releases insulin, which helps you, uh, take that sugar and, and put it into all your cells to use as energy or to store as fat. And so you can only use some amount of sugar as energy before you start storing it as fat. And that's kind of where this process comes. If you can prevent those sugar spikes from going too high and releasing too much insulin, then you can kind of start to prevent yourself from putting on weight, A. And then B, if your glucose levels are on the lower side, um, then your insulin levels start to go down and your body senses that and starts to, to burn uh, to burn fat as the uh, secondary energy source. So if you can kind of keep your sugar levels lower, then you use less insulin or you have less insulin spikes, and then you start to burn fat as as energy instead of glucose. So that's the idea behind it. Um, it's you know it's I think the one of the bigger breakthroughs is and something that I didn't necessarily recognize until I started learning about this more is that again as I kind of mentioned, even if you are not diabetic or pre diabetic, you will still have unpredictable and high glucose spikes in response to different foods. For example, I had a spike to 200 uh, three days ago, and that was pretty surprising to me um, because it was from a meal that I didn't consider to be particularly unhealthy. And so that I like, I learned a lot from that in terms of probably six pounds of teriyaki sauce. It's not (laughs) the right thing to add to noodles and vegetables, right? Like I could have been a lot more, um, a lot more, uh, less generous with the the sautéing I was doing, but you know, I, yeah, sa- sauces tend to be the big surprise, right? I found myself that a lot of sugars hidden in a variety of sauces, and then with the the noodles is a, a nice carbohydrate vehicle to, to yeah, that there. doesn't that doesn't help. Yeah, so I mean, you know, and it was an okay meal, right? But I had some other homemade food yesterday that was uh, a lot more delicious, and my sugars actually went down because it was you know vegetables and spices. Um, and that was even with some ice cream at the end of it. So, I want to talk a lot about food, but before we continue the food conversation, just a simple question about CGMs, continuous glucose monitors. I, I mentioned them. Some people listening may not know what they are. If maybe you could just give us a primer on what CGMs are and how they work. Sure. So they're uh, medical devices, um, 
you uh, apply them to your skin and then it kind of puts a microfilament uh, into your skin and that can kind of track what your interstitial glucose is. And the interstitium is kind of the, this little fluid area in between the cells where um, uh, some, some electrolytes are kind of uh, stored as well. And your interstitial glucose layer is, is pretty analogous to your blood glucose. Uh, so it, it, it kind of takes the place of doing finger sticks, which probably a lot of people have seen diabetics do. Or if you go to the doctor's office and they, they prick your finger and they check that sugar. Um, but even, you know, even if you were the most diligent finger, uh, finger glucose checker, you would only be doing it maybe 10, 20 times a day. Whereas the continuous glucose monitor is taking data points every minute or every few minutes. and then um, allowing you to track that. So we know exactly when your sugar starts to go up and when it peaks and when it starts to go down. And then we can help you look back and, and try to figure out what could have been causing those differences. For example, I can start exercising and I can see the sugar start to go down because my body starts to use it as energy. Um, or I can eat and, you know, soon thereafter, depending on what I eat, I can see it start to go up and I can go, oh, like, um, this is going to be a big spike. I should probably get out and go for a walk or do some push-ups or something. Yeah, I think that continuous piece is really important. I've done some finger sticks to try and measure my body's response to food. And let's say I do a stick an hour out and two hours out. I might have had a big spike that happened somewhere in there that I didn't catch within those two measurements. But by having those continual measurements show up every five minutes in our app, you're going to see when you actually spike. And so that's that's one of the big advantages, right? Yeah. And I mean, if you're just checking at a predetermined time, you could be on the way up, you could be on the way down, you could have already completely missed it. You know, you, you never, it's hard to know. And especially with how your body's digestion works, you know, the more complicated the meal is, the longer it takes for you to fully digest it. So you, you, it's hard, a lot harder to know kind of when you should even be checking. Yeah. So one question I love to ask people that are wearing CGMs is what their biggest surprise was when they put their first CGM on. Because everyone's got that aha moment. I, I think you already mentioned one. You went up to 200 just the other day. But uh, if you could look, remember back to when you first put one on, what, what were some of the big surprises? So I think the first one was I, I've never been a person who thought that I like my moods or my my like how I was feeling could have been correlated to like my body sugar. You know, I, I thought that as a as a healthy um, person with normal glucose metabolism or what I thought was normal glucose metabolism that I would be in pretty much the normal range all the time. Um, but the second day when I did the glucose glucose test and drank a bunch of sugar water. And had a sugar, you know, my spike up to 180. Despite a full night of sleep, I immediately was like the most tired I've been. And I had to take a nap at like 11 a.m. Fortunately, I wasn't on shift or anything. Um, so just that seeing that kind of how quickly my, how I was feeling actually related to to glucose was interesting to me. Um, the second thing for me was that uh, I learned a lot about how my shift work has actually been pretty deleterious to my health probably. And that's an, that's a known thing um, in terms of research showing that people who work night shifts or who do shift work have uh, a tougher time losing weight and are more at risk for gaining weight. And 
uh, for me personally, I do a lot of evening shifts. So I've kind of finished up around 11 or midnight and then I'll, I'll have a couple of yogurts and, and soy milk or sometimes some ice cream or whatever is kind of lying around at home. Or, you know, if I'm a particularly tough shift, I can go home and watch TV for an hour and eat some, some pretzels or something. And then my sugar will be high all night. Um, and that's really, you know, I, I don't necessarily need that food, right? It's comfort food, but it, uh, it caused kind of an outsized effect because I was eating it late. And it was always kind of snack food. And that ended up having me have high sugars all night, which then would plummet down to normal range kind of right before I woke up. So a lot of people will check their morning fasting glucose as kind of a sign of how they've been doing all night. And for me, you know, it would be in the 90 range, which is fine. But really, I've been up at like 130 for parts of the night, which is obviously out of range. So again, if you're doing those finger sticks, you would have never known that. You would have think, hey, I'm completely normal. I've got a BGL, a blood glucose level of 80 or 90 in the morning and not known that you were 130 the whole night. Yeah, unless someone was, you know, while I was asleep sneaking in and, and checking my sugar, but <laughs> hard to check your sugar. <laughs> I think so, that'll wake you up. If someone showed up in your ER and, and told you they hadn't eaten for several hours and you you did a, a finger stick and a blood glucose check and it was 130, what would you think? Do you think this person might be like pre-diabetic? Yeah, I mean, I would certainly diabetic. consider having that conversation, right? I mean, sugar, again, goes up for a lot of reasons, one of them being stress. And stress is something that's kind of the currency of the emergency department for everyone that's there. But um I would certainly, you know, I'd certainly mention it to them that their glucose was higher than I would have expected. Yeah. And I know you and I are both interested in the behavioral aspects of this. And and one of the things that I found is the continuous nature of these readings really, it, it does a couple of things. It gives you that continuous feedback loop so you can understand what might be causing you to, to gain weight. Um, it also provides some accountability, too. Have you experienced the same thing as you've been monitoring your glucose levels? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, weight is such a blunt instrument of of body health. And, you know, BMI, people criticize it for being um, not very accurate, but for a, on a population scale. I mean, which is definitely true, right? You could be in great shape and have a BMI of, of 27 if you're like very muscular, for example. Um, but But there is no... So... But if you're trying to lose weight, looking at your looking at your weight every day, you can't tell why you might have gone up or down. It might be some water weight. It might be a big meal you had. Like over time, you can track trends. But on a day-to-day basis, you're not going to be losing so much weight that you feel um, you feel like you've necessarily done something like really positive in the last day, right? So a lot of a lot of that is hard to keep up, especially if you start to plateau. Then and then you people kind of fall back to their old their old habits. The nice thing about continuous glucose monitors and being able to kind of watch your sugar all the time is that you always have something that you can hit in terms of targets. You can always bring your spikes down. You can always try to get your fasting glucose lower. And, uh, that's really, honestly, it's really fun. Like <laughs> yesterday, you know, I had a spike. Yeah. It, it told me I was going to spike to 155. I was like, I don't want that. Um, I'm blaming that on a chai tea latte with 25 grams of sugar. Right. So, I was like, well, I don't want that. I'm going to do some exercise right now, even though I just ate breakfast. Uh, and I, you know, cranked out a 20 minute, a 20 minute uh, kind of hit cardio thing. And uh, I blocked my glucose bike by like, I think almost 20 points um, from what I was predicted to what I ended up doing. And I got my workout in for the day, right? Like I, 
I didn't need to think about it. I didn't need to do it. I just, oh, sugar's going up, time to work out. Uh, and then, you know, I felt great. Yeah, I've I've noticed the same thing. And I also am excited about these little small micro changes that you can make to your diet that end up um, giving you that advantage in losing weight. And my One of my own experiences pre-Cygnos is I used to, especially this time of year, go to the grocery store and get these sumo oranges. They're really sweet. They're, they're big. I'd eat like four or five of these things a day. And so after putting on the CGM and looking at the Cygnos app, I noticed that every time I had one, I'd go up to like 150, 160. And I was doing those spikes as a snack throughout the day. And simply removing that, and, and you'd think that's a really healthy thing to do is eat more fruit. That's what my doctor always says is eat more fruits and vegetables. One of the main nutritional pieces of advice I get when I go to the doctor's office. But there are some smart decisions you can make about what fruit and vegetables to eat. I think you sent around an article um, that I read about raspberries, and that's become my new go-to snack is I've stopped buying those um, sumo oranges I still have one every like week or so, but not buying them in bulk and eating five a day, but having like just some raspberries as a snack, I find doesn't do anything to my blood sugar at all. So that little change, and that's just one of I have 20, 30 changes I've made to my diet has caused dramatic weight loss. It's been pretty exciting. I, I'm I'm smiling over here. I'm trying not to laugh to interrupt you, but I have like 10 like uh, sensumo oranges sitting in my, in my little fruit bowl by my <laughs> sink and I have not eaten any of them because I just know exactly what's going to happen. But yeah, I mean, like those, those are specifically bred by humans to be as delicious as possible, right? And, right. you know, yes. is, is sugar from fruit better than sugar from candy bar? I don't know. Like, I, probably not. Like, I think that's still kind of up in the air a little bit. Um, there was but, some fiber in there. So there's that. Yeah, which might prevent the sugar a spike a little bit. But, I mean, sugar is still sugar. Yeah. Um, and it's still going to cause your insulin to go up. So if you, you know, all things being equal, if you like raspberries and you maybe even like a little shaved dark chocolate on there or something, you know, as much as you like a sensuma, um, you know, all things being equal, why not have something that's not going to make your sugar go up? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it is it is fascinating. You know, the other thing that that fascinates me about um, using the Cygnos app, I think this is another article. You send a lot of articles for me to read. Yeah. Actually, it, it's, it's, really it's most of my reading. It's time. really fun researching <laughs> all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. people are always you looking at more this. stuff. It's wild how much research people are doing uh, across the globe. It, it is this stuff. I think for me, one of the most exciting things I read that you sent me, it was a while ago, was that article in Cell Magazine. It was a study that was done out of the Weizmann Institute about uh, personal responses to foods and how they differ from individual to individual. Uh, so I think in that study, they found that people's microbiomes are different. And so they, um, they had shown that someone could have a pizza, an ice cream, uh, and might spike from the pizza, but not the ice cream. And another individual might be the opposite. They um, would completely spike from the ice cream and not from the pizza. And what was exciting about that was that um, everyone doesn't respond the same. And maybe that's a reason why diets don't work very well in that there's no one rule you can give somebody in terms of losing weight when everyone responds differently to different foods. And now we finally have a technology where we can see what our personal response is. And, and that's 
pretty empowering, pretty exciting. Yeah, I think that's that's very well said. You know, most diets work for some people, right? Otherwise, no one would do them, right? If there was a diet where all you did was eat pizza and ice cream, but you gained 20 pounds, that's not a diet, right? That's what, It's not a diet in the conventional sense of the word diet in terms of something that's helping you lose weight. Um, but but a lot of diets don't work for a lot of people as well. And that's super frustrating because people see their friends doing keto and losing a bunch of weight or just following a very strict Mediterranean diet and losing weight and then, then not having the same results. Uh, and microbiome genetics, all of that plays into it, but really the outcome that, that a lot of these studies actually end up measuring is glucose response and insulin sensitivity as a outcome of how the diet is making your body respond to the foods. And so, yeah, like you said, for the first time, there's kind of a, you know, an accessible way of looking at that response and then not only looking at it, but manipulating it in real time, which is, which is just such a cool tool. So we've talked a lot about what you eat. Uh, and I think you've mentioned stress and, and sleep. What other factors uh, do you think are the most important in terms of, of leveling your blood glucose? So I think one thing is uh, exercise for sure. So there's a lot of good studies that show that small bouts of exercise throughout the day can increase your insulin sensitivity so that your body has to release a lower amount of insulin uh, to get the same effect. Uh, and then also that if you exercise as your sugar starts to go up, you can bring that down because your body is, again, thinking, oh, man, I'm running from a lion. I better use this glucose as energy right now instead of storing it as fat. So being able to like kind of trigger when and how much I exercise uh, has been really, uh, really, I think, beneficial for my glucose levels. I think the other thing is kind of how how I compose my meals, right? Like I always try to have sometimes some green vegetables, you know, if I just have a little bit of broccoli while I'm while I'm cooking and then I have kind of my main meal afterwards, you know, eating some green vegetables as before is shown to kind of dampen the glucose response or at least trying to make sure I'm eating mixed meals. Um, and then I think the third thing is, is really trying to stop snacking. Snacking is almost always like just carbs and sugar. Uh, and at a time when your body is meant to be fasting, right? The human body is kind of used to only a few insulin spikes a day. This, this readily accessible, ready accessibility to food is something that's not part of our evolutionary, um, chain right like humans fasted for for a long time um historically and so cutting down on my fasting not necessarily even intermittent fasting um sorry cutting down on my snacking not even necessarily intermittent fasting but just being a lot more mindful of of actually am i eating because i'm hungry or am i eating because i i'm bored and i want to try something and then if i do want to eat you know a bag of pretzels or chips or 20 cookies which i have definitely done during this knowing that I'm going to need to work out. So I've actually just, instead of, you know, working from home on days when I'm at the hospital has made this possible, but on days when I want to have that, then I will plan to have, I'll do that before exercise. And I've actually found that I am better at exercising after that, right? Like I have the sugar that's flowing around that I'm, that I can use right away. I mean, that's why people talk about carb loading before doing marathons. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a ton of, it's, it's been super fun to play with, honestly. 
Yeah, you, you said so, so many things I, I want to dive into because it's really so exciting. One, one of the things that uh, was fascinating to me was doing uh, a bout of exercise and really not that intense of an exercise, but, but doing it right after eating when I know I'm supposed to spike based on what I've eaten. And then I see uh, my blood sugar doesn't spike at all. So, you know, maybe I get on my rowing machine and I do 15, 20 minutes at 50 to 60% of max heart rate after eating a croissant. And I know that croissant alone, I'm going up to like 187, 190. With exercise, I might hit 110. So... What's actually happening there? Is my body burning the glucose circulating in my bloodstream that then doesn't get uh, eventually stored as fat? Yeah, I mean, your body doesn't want to necessarily store fat. It's kind of the, the last option, right? First, it sends as much to your brain as it needs, and your brain uses like a ton of glucose um, for obvious reasons. Then you put some into your skeletal muscles, and you put some into your uh, liver, and then kind of what's left over is what ends up getting stored. So if you are using your, oh, I think I sent you the study yesterday that they actually looked at blood flow to skeletal muscles after a high carb, high sugar meal, and it's decreased because your body is in that like rest and digest. I just want to like deal with the big carb load I just had, but you know, exercising kind of beats that, right? You're gonna you're gonna open up blood flow to your muscles again. You need that oxygen flowing there you need that energy flowing there and you're going to take that glucose that you just ate and and put it to good use um and so doing that and getting the timing right is another huge advantage in losing weight because knowing when you're going to spike how much you're going to spike based on your past experience of eating those foods you can time that exercise just right to eliminate that spike which is so cool but there's some other things you said that I, I want to just um, dive into a little bit more. Uh, one thing that I found was so powerful is you mentioned emotional eating, and I'm a big snacker. I'm constantly going and eating things, and I think it's mostly when I'm either stressed or bored. And since I've started using Cygnos, what I do is I look at that blood glucose um, graph, and I use it as kind of like a fuel gauge like you have in a car, empty and full. And if I'm not, you know, five to 10 points um, away from my fasting blood glucose, I question why am I going to get a snack right now? Because I've got fuel in my system. It's not like I'm going to pass out if I don't eat. I found doing that kind of breaks the emotional connection that I have with food or wanting to eat just because I'm stressed or bored or some other reason that... It's caused a shift, a paradigm shift in how I think about food. I now think about food as fuel versus food as comfort, food as love, food is something to do when you have nothing else to do. I mean, food is definitely still all of those things too, right? Like yeah. there's plenty of meals where I'm like, I don't care what my spike is going to be. I'm just going to go for it. Uh, and sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised that, oh, I didn't spike so bad. And sometimes I'm on it, you know, I'm not surprised at all. And I know that that was pretty bad. Um, but again, it's like it's an aggregation, right? Like you you can't be perfect every day. And a lot of diets kind of assume that, right? Like as soon as you fall out of keto, you're out of keto. Um, but but you don't need to be perfect every day if you're making lots of smaller decisions about what you're eating and how you're behaving that are gonna that you get you get to see how it affected you right away. 
I mean, it's really kind of, there's not a lot about weight loss that results in positive feedback, right? Like it's a hard thing. Um, and, and if the only thing you're tracking is your weight on a scale, it's going to be hard. Um, but, but being able to make these decisions that really just are, it's so empowering to see that you are not spiking or that you, you beat your spike by some amount because you did some exercise. Um, it's, I don't know, it's just really cool. It it is, and, and I'm glad you um, you you mentioned that falling off the wagon because a lot of times for people that's when their diet ends when they fall off the wagon they just then you know, completely abandon whatever diet they had chosen. I, I think this is an, a good uh, point to make, which is using Cygnos isn't really a diet; it's about making lifestyle changes, lifelong lifestyle changes because you're going to learn what foods work for you what doesn't what exercise uh, does uh, in terms of helping you how um, how sleep is important for your blood glucose so i think all that combined is very important and it's it's important to make that point that what we do is is very different than just a simple diet that you can follow for a few months and expect to lose some weight in which what I think we found over and over again, especially this time of year around New Year's, is that diets are often abandoned and people fall into a yo-yo effect and just end up gaining more weight. Exactly. Right, Doc. Well, uh, any closing thoughts? Any other things that uh, you think we haven't touched on? Uh, well, there's a ton we haven't touched on, but I'll leave some of those questions uh, to be done to be done in a future time. Uh, I'm just excited to see what kind of things our members come up with, what cool stories they have and experiences they have. Uh, and I can't wait to to find out how people are using our, our system. Awesome. Thanks, Dr. Dixon. And for our listeners, if you have any questions you want to pose to Dr. Dixon, again, email us at ama at cygnos, S-I-G-N-O-S dot com. 